Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Cloud Unfiltered. It's a brand new year, and we're back here, and we have a new guest. Our guest is Neil Creswell from Portainer, and we're very excited to have him on. So just a little uh, background about Neil. He has a company called Portainer that is actually let me let me let neil explain it because i probably won't do any justice but it's a you know it's a great open source project and uh you know so i'll let him explain a little bit about it all right thank you so yeah it's actually portana.io is the easiest way to to remember it uh, which is handy because that's also the website address uh, and so the the product is a, a container application management and deployment tool set so the, the purpose behind Portainer is to make it radically easy for users to deploy applications uh, across Docker and Kubernetes environments um, in a way that makes sense to them. So a real natural language type tool. Great, yeah, and I know there's a, there's you know a bit of history how this came about. You know there was this because this comes back from the from the early days of Docker, and I know that it's now morphed into Kubernetes and it's got a really good Kubernetes story. But you know there there is a bit of history. I know there was some um, a little bit of uh, strife in the early days of Docker, and I kind of feel like there is that with Kubernetes today too. But you know, tell us a little bit about how this came about. So it all started, I would say, four and a half years ago. Now I've really lost track of time because this has been such a a, a whirlwind uh, journey so far. But around four and a half years ago, ish. Let's not forget all of 2020, right? Which just kind of like <laughs> didn't actually happen, right? Yeah, it was just just blanked. But yeah, so so around four and a half years ago, I got exposed at actually a a VMware event. I got exposed to Docker containers for the first time. And that was it was uh, through a guy called Ben Corey who was running a VMware project at the time to make containers run inside VMware, and he really opened my eyes to this technology. I thought, man, this stuff is amazing. This is this is really going to change the world. And thought, I've really got to get part of this whole this whole tech space. You know, I don't know what it is. I don't really know anything about it, but it looks cool, and I really want to want to get into it as much as I can. And so immediately pivoted my, my, my own inner geek and said, how can I understand what this tech does? And I you know, started working with Docker at that time, and it was so monumentally difficult. And it, there, was, there were two, two factors to it. One, it was a very technical you know, tool set. But the other thing, it was so early in, in Docker's career at that time that there was just no documentation. So there was not really anything that described how the product worked or anything. So... That, that was basically six months of a sheer nightmare. Uh, I, I like to say I, I had six months of migraines as I, as I tried to transition my own, my own internal skill set from virtual machines through to containers and thought, this, this technology is amazing. Why, oh, why does it have to be so complicated? Absolutely. And, and just, just said about saying, how, how can I address this? I'm, I'm an engineer. I've always been an engineer. I always will be an engineer and I like to try and, and solve problems. And I saw this as a challenge. This is really difficult technology. Surely there's a way I can make it easier. And that's, that's exactly what I set out to do with Portana. Yeah, no, and I, you know, I think, you know, I actually use Portainer, you know, in the, in the Docker days. So I do remember it making it much, much easier. So I think you accomplished your goal there. Um, you know, uh, I do feel like that, Nowadays, with Kubernetes, you know, even though it added a layer of orchestration on top of Docker, 
uh, I think there's a lot more complexities to it now. So, you know, you're going to answer new complexities with Kubernetes now. You know, you have CSIs, you have CNIs, you have, uh, you know, all these technologies that need to come together. You have different networking stacks, you have different, uh, you know, all these things. And really, to me, you know, in the in a similar space, you know, that's the answer that we have to kind of figure out is how do we make this easier for the end user? Um, and it's 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 a hard thing. And and also, who are you trying to target? So the, the, the thing that I always think about is, are we targeting IT or are we targeting DevOps? And really, the answer, I think, is somewhere in between. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about, you know, what you think about who should manage the, you know, who 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 does Portana answer? Does does do some people in IT get to manage like role-based access control? Do you do you hand it off to people that are within DevOps? I think that I struggle with similar things with our product set. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, personas sure. are personas are a very uh, key uh, thing to get right when you start talking about products and and really how to address your use cases. So uh, yeah, I would be curious as well to learn. You know, what what do you feel like the personas are, and and really how has that evolved maybe since you started four years ago and you were this the you know the guy with VMs who was trying to do containers, and and now there's entire organizations built around exactly that. You put it so elegantly, Andrew. I just, you know, I just kind of spit <laughs> it out there. It just comes out. And That's uh, the product manager in me. You, you know, know, I got to throw the buzz so nice in there. when he does it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Go ahead, Neil. Yeah, so interestingly enough, if you look at every other piece of technology that is out there in the IT space, over time, it has gotten easier to use the technology, right? Easier and easier. If you look at look at Windows or you know DOS to Windows to, to Windows 10, it's got easier to use. Almost every piece of technology has got easier to use. For the life of me, I cannot understand why containers has been the inverse. Over time, it's got more complicated to use. When I said before, I, my, my first exposure to Docker was, oh my God, why is this so complicated? It's even worse now. Could you, unpack, is, could you unpack what is so difficult? Like, could you give us an example potentially of something that's actually gotten, like I think I, I, think I could say maybe networking would be a good example of something that in Docker was already confusing enough. And now when you add Kubernetes in, it's like, hey, let's throw service meshes at this. Let's mm -hmm. do Itzio. Let's, you know, you know we, we're at Cisco. Let's put a fabric on top. So is there another example for you that's, that's just gotten even more bloated over the, over the, the time? I think the biggest one for me is all around persistence. So containers from day one were, were designed to be non-persistent, stateless things that you just deploy and scale and destroy and redeploy. And persistence kind of threw a spanner and in, in, in that works. It was like, well, hang on a second. We actually want to run our database servers and our database servers need persistence. And we want our web servers there. And we've got to have all of our, our web content. And so all of a sudden you've now got all of this persistence layer and it's like, well, Okay, so now this gets, get, gets complicated because if you've got old-fashioned block storage, well, guess what? You can only have a single container accessing that block of storage at any one point in time. So then you're like, well, hang on, now I've got to have some kind of shared file system to do it. And, well, how do I do that? And how do I ensure that it, it's fast enough? And you've still got now all of the original design criteria. I mean, I don't know you guys, but I, I had this, this RAID calculator. And when I was trying to, 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 to build a, a massive SQL server or Oracle server, I was there in my calculator trying to figure out how many IOPS and throughput I needed. Well, with Docker and Kubernetes, that's kind of just taken away from you. So I'm, so the actual developer is sitting here trying to push a, a, a new version of, the, of their application live to production, and they don't have any ability to see or engage with 
any of the underlying physical conditions. They don't know how fast stuff is. Is it, is it, is it responsive enough? They just, they just, just cross their fingers, deploy and hope. And it, that's, that's just insane. So, so in your, in your opinion, is this, uh, is this an example of a technology maybe being used in a way it shouldn't be used? Or is it, was this a logical direction for these problems to sort of evolve? You know, it, it was always, there was always going to be a, an issue with persistency potentially because of, of, you know, what we were trying to do with containers. There was always going to be an issue. Uh, Do Docker actually addressed it way before Kubernetes did. You know, Do Docker, with Docker Swarm, came out and said, here, we we're going to provide you a really nice way. And they actually had an entire program, modernize your, your legacy applications program. And it was all about taking legacy applications, you know, persistent or otherwise, and putting them into containers on, on Swarm with the whole you know, persistent layer. And that was actually really, really good. And Kubernetes simply said, nah, we're not doing that. We're, we're focused on, on uh, 12 factor applications, uh, stateless scalar applications. And then that changed. And, all, and then there's now persistence in there. But yeah, I, I, I personally don't think it's ever been architected to actually take or, or have storage as a first class citizen. So it's kind of band-aided on the side. And it, it's kind of evident in that way, really. It, it's, it's definitely gotten better. Um, but it's still it's still far harder than it needs to be to actually have a a persistence layer inside your application. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and I would totally agree. I, and I would like to take it back a little bit and talk a little bit about those those personas. That yeah, I know. I, I kind of so, derailed so, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it. Totally derailed our conversation. But uh, no, that that's a really interesting perspective, and I I kind of agree on that perspective too. Um, so yeah, no, if we could take it back to the personas and just talk a little bit about that, that'd be great. Yeah, so the, the main thing with the personas is, yes, it has changed over time, right? So, so yes, when we first built this, this technology, we were building it for people like myself, people who were in the VMware space and were used to working with virtual machines and LUNs and VLANs and saying, how can we allow them to make their skills transportable into the container world? And so we, we built an interface that made sense to the IT infrastructure person. And, and that, that kind of was okay. And then all of a sudden now developers wanted to engage with Portainer as well. So developers needed a different way of engaging with it. They, they, they don't speak the language of infrastructure. So we, we kind of morphed the Portainer interface a little bit to be able to accommodate the infrastructure person and the developer. And again, even in the developer camp, there are, there, there are two types. There's the front-end developer who don't know nor care in any way, shape, nor form about infrastructure. And then there's the back-end developer who quite often does care and understands a bit about it. So we said, okay, well, let's, let's really target the front-end developer, the person, or someone who simply does not want to know or care about infrastructure. Do you ever so find that there's a, a mixture of those two people, potentially? Or is it usually like one camp and the other camp? Uh, often one camp or the other camp. Um, okay. There are there are, there are some there uh, there are people and really they are the full stack devs. You know these these unicorns called full stack developers. <laughs> um, so so they, those guys are. But again, full stack developers are normally so heavily overworked uh, that they again don't really whilst they know about infrastructure they don't they don't have the time uh, to to care about it. So they just want the simplest quickest way to deploy. Um, yeah, but totally. then but then of late there's actually another persona came out which is this DevOps persona. And you know, DevOps is this hybrid land where it is either a developer who actually enjoys tinkering with the technology, or it's a an, an ex IT person, infrastructure person who has who enjoys playing with platforms 
and is all about infrastructure as code, automation, automation, automation. So you've got this DevOps persona as well. So we've been we've been very careful to to watch changes in the market and watch changes in persona and user types and say how can we make Portana appeal to all of those personas because they are very different people. If you if you try and talk to those people in a language that is not natural to them, they will kind of revoke against it and say no no this is this is dumb. Why, why, why are you doing this? Yeah, no, and 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 we've actually found that because we've ha we have a product uh, that you know. Um, created we had, we had a product that created applications um that would could you could build once and deploy to many but it was our own um private kind of orchestrator and it didn't use things like terraform or ansible or anything like that and what we found was that it's almost like a religion people that want to use terraform and ansible if you tell them that they can't they're going to rebel against you. Absolutely. So really, really, what we, you know, in our newer product sets, what we do is 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 we allow people to bring what they want. And I think that's the that's the answer to this, and it goes back to what you were saying: is you need an answer for all those personas, and you kind of have to have a little of everything in today's world. You know, in the in the I'd say five to six years ago, when people were just getting on to to the clouds, you know, they wanted easy ways to do it because nobody knew anything about it. Now the tools are so mature that people want to take advantage of those tools. And they're almost religious to the point of where they want to go, like which cloud they use. You know, if they're Azure people, they're like, I'm Azure full way. Why do I need anything else? Mm -hmm. I'm AWS, I'm AWS full way or Google, same thing. You know, so it's like, you need a way to make it easier for them. I find that it's ease of use and also uh, similar capabilities or, or capabilities that they can bring in. So those are the types of things that I find because nobody wants to change the way they work. They work a certain way and they like that way and they want to keep it that way. If you can find a way to add to that, then uh, then then you have something. I think you should try to say way one more time, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. And, so, and, and, and by the way, actually, that, that, that's, that's totally right. We've, we've actually had feedback from, from some of our users who have tried our product and, and others out there in the market and said the, the others in the market are forcing us to behave as if we are DevOps. And if you're not DevOps, you really have to change yourself to be DevOps in order to use those products. Whereas, whereas with with Portana, they they said it doesn't matter which area you're coming from; it still feels natural to you. So, how do you, I guess I guess a question would be then: How does Portana, or really, um, you know, any product in the space, uh, help drive people from one? side of the fence to the other right so i think one of the challenges that a lot of enterprises are kind of going through is that barrier of entry if you are an infrastructure administrator you're being told everything's cloud native you need to get into the cloud so you you need to be more agile you need to, to do things like infrastructure as code um but i don't know how to code i i don't you know i don't know how to write terraform plans or i don't know how to do ansible playbooks and then on the other side the devops engineers you know or the developers really they're they've just never even worried about infrastructure right they they've they just kind of assume oh we're in the public cloud i can consume this as as needed and i don't really need to give a care in the world to vlans and ip addresses and storage and so on and so forth so how does something like portainer or how does an enterprise approach that sort of knowledge skill gap um that that probably exists and 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 kind of get you know get them to collaborate if you will yeah well, so so when you when you log into portainer Basically, depending on the type of user that you are, you can engage with us in a manner that feels natural to you. So if you are a, 
a legacy type or, or, or a IT administrator and you want that whole walkthrough or guided experience, you log in and you use our graphical interface to step you through deploying an application. And in that, that form-based deployment, nowhere once does it really ask you anything that requires you to have a deep understanding about the underlying technology. So we, we're, we're, not, we're not asking you questions that are Kubernetes-specific or Docker-specific. We're asking you questions that are human-specific. You know, what, what is the application that you want to deploy? Do, do you want to expose this on the network? If so, what ports? Do you want to persist uh, anything in this, in this application? If so, which directories in the application? And we take care of that, uh, determine what they're trying to do and say, okay, we, we see you want to persist these. We're going to go and create you uh, uh, persistent volumes for each of these directories. We're going to create you an ingress controller and expose this particular port. We do this for them, and they don't need to know nor care. If you are a developer, you can engage with us through webhooks or you can engage through us through the Portana API. We are very careful to say anything that you can do in the UI, you can do in an API. Okay. And so, so you don't you don't have to do you don't have to have to choose. You can you can use both, and you can even have a an, an infrastructure person deploy an application through the UI, but then somebody else can manage it via webhooks or manage it via the API. So it, there's no, there's no, you know, um, either or here. It's so, so the, it's the, 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 the gap is being potentially bridged by the yeah. Yeah, just just by the existence of that that feature parity, right? Um, you know, the the fact that something that is you know click ops driven can also be DevOps driven, if um, if you will. So that's interesting. Yeah, we're, we're kind of like a piece of middleware that that provides or, or brings sanity to this whole uh, container platform. Sure. Sure. So, so how do you, this is, this is something we fight with too. So how do you get, um, how do you answer the DevOps people? Because they're the ones that say, Hey, look, I can go directly to Kubernetes API and you know, why do I need to put something in between it? Um, you know, what, you know, what, what features or what, how do you ensure them that this is going to be a better experience or, you know, how do you answer that question? Because that's almost like, you know, we, we have, you, you know, it's like you're putting another layer and people are like these DevOps uh, traditionalists, I want to say. And, and you know, so, so they're die hard. What, what, how do you answer those people? Or maybe we just don't. Maybe this, maybe this isn't the right product set for them. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally okay saying that there is, there's going to be a, a proportion of Kubernetes users out there who simply love the fact that it's, that it's Kubernetes and really enjoy playing with that technology and therefore they will probably always only ever want to do that. Uh, one of the things that we do is we, we have built into Portana a pretty, pretty extensive rules engine and the reason being is that there, there is no such thing natively for Kubernetes. Kubernetes API will simply accept commands given to it and then asynchronously, it'll go and try and, and fulfill those commands. And then they may fail. What we do is say, well, hang on a second, that is, that is the dumbest thing I've heard in quite some time. Um, <laughs> why, why would you allow someone to actually submit a job that's, that is immediately going to fail? So we, we basically sit in the front and say, when you send us instructions, we will return a response code to you to say, this, this is going to fail for these reasons, or it will succeed and we will pass it to the back end. So we, we, don't, we don't let anyone send an instruction to Kubernetes that will fail. We won't let you try and request more resources than the cluster has available. We won't let you try and deploy a load balancer if there is not a load balancer configured in the cluster. We just, we just won't let you do all of this dumb stuff um, that, that, that you may or may not know. And unless you've built the cluster with your own, your own hands and know exactly how it is configured, 
the chance of you sending instructions to it that will fail is very high and very time time wasting as well. Yeah, I totally agree. What, now, how do you answer? I'm, I'm, so this is the part I don't know, admittedly, because I haven't looked at it since since uh, Kubernetes has been added, and I know that, and I and I, I totally intend to, by the way. Um, but do you guys deploy Kubernetes yourselves, or do you uh, do you kind of claim Kubernetes? And if so, do you use whatever the Kubernetes load balancer that comes with that distro? Do you have choices? I know you're trying to make it easy for the end user. So how do you limit that kind of interaction? So we like to, to break the Kubernetes layer into two. So there is the construction of the cluster, and then there is the consumption of the cluster. And consumption is the user-facing side, which is where you, you go and deploy your applications. The construction of the cluster is the stand-up of the hosts, the installation of all of the kube components, network storage. We don't touch the whole construction side. So we are all about the, the consumption layer. So you simply hand us a, a Kubernetes cluster that is functional, we install our agent, and then from that point on, we go and manage that cluster uh, as as we need to. Gotcha. And uh, um, for in terms of you know the the industry, um, you know having an easier way to deploy. I mean, it, just looking at Kubernetes the way it is, do you think that that's a that's a huge need in the industry right now? I do, because even if you go to a cloud provider managed Kubernetes distro, when you, once you finish swapping your credit card, all you end up with is an is a API endpoint and, and or a CLI tool. And if you are not familiar with how to engage with that API endpoint, you can't even get started. You know, there, there, are, there are some providers now who are providing you a, a rudimentary UI to go and start consuming services. But in all honesty, most of them are just giving you an API endpoint. So you go, you go, and and it, it automatically spins you up a cluster. It's it's fully configured, and they say here here is your 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 kube config. Go and download it, uh, configure it against your kube CTL interface, and have fun. If you don't, you, you can't even get started. Whereas you know, we're we're a bit different. We say, well, no problem. We'll connect to that cluster for you, and then let you consume it in a, in a far easier way. So so I'm going to ask a question. It's maybe a little bit contrarian, but what? You know, Kubernetes is all the rage right now. Um, I, you could argue, you know, containers are still all the rage right now. Um, are there areas where you know you you would advise an enterprise not to go down that path? Um, are are there you know? I, I think we're also struggling with this sort of decision point of do I swipe the credit card for EKS or IKS, and do I go and consume a tool like like Portainer or or any you know any of those sort of management planes that exist? You know what what sort of things should an enterprise consider when they when they start looking at Kubernetes and looking at containers? What would drive them in this direction versus not driving them in this direction? Uh, for me personally, I think far too many people use Kubernetes. Uh, who absolutely have no need to. Um, <laughs> it, it just seems to be, I have a problem, the answer is Kubernetes. Uh, what was the uh, problem again? Um, yeah. So it's like so uh, proposing that solution and then trying to find the problem after oh, the fact, right? Honestly, yeah. it's insane. Half the people that, that I engage with who, who are using Kubernetes and they explain to me why, and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm running running five five containers in, in my, my cluster. <laughs> are you insane? <laughs> what for? Yeah. <laughs> Just to add to that, I mean, I thought, you know, when I was working outside of the, my current company and, and a director of IT, I, um, 
you know, I was told, I, I got the credo that everything needs to be cloud first, but nobody really knew what that meant at the beginning of, you know, cloud. And really to the developers and the people that were the application architects, that meant taking the legacy applications and putting them, just placing them in the cloud. That is yeah. not cloud native. That's called a second data center that you're paying a lot of money for. Yeah. That is totally not cloud native whatsoever. And you know what, even today, I mean, we see a lot of companies, you know, it's really still a very small percentage of companies that are really utilizing Kubernetes in the, in the right way. You know, there's a lot of people that have it in their lab. There's a lot of people that are, that are trying to create a strategy around it, but there's really, I would argue, not that many that have it deployed in a production way. If, uh, back in the day, VMware had, had an amazing metric they were, they were monitoring globally, which was the, the conversion of physical servers to virtual machines. And they, they, they were tracking this progress over time. And it was like, okay, we started out at zero, then we got to 5%, 10%. And, and what, what they were tracking was the, the global server estate running as, as virtual machines. And they, they got closer, 80 90%. And you know, here in New Zealand, I think we got to like 95% um, of all servers deployed were, were virtual machines, which was amazing. If you applied that same kind of thinking and logic to Kubernetes and said, or containers in general, and said, of every single application deployed worldwide today, what percentage of those applications are running in containers? I would struggle to see how it is any more than than you know single digit percentages. Genuinely, I, I've seen numbers at like the five percent. Well, yeah, I was going to say about 5%. Kubernetes adoption. I'm not yeah. going to source that, but you know, that <laughs> yeah. is that is what I've heard through the grapevine that it, you know it's it's sub five percent at this point. Yeah, which is which is not crazy if you think about it, right because we did spend there was a huge decade right where everybody just was like vm explosion so I, I don't ever think that we would ever see a huge percentage amount for going to kubernetes because there's still obviously a need for virtual machines there's still um you know there's still a, a desire to have them coexist uh depending on your use cases yeah and i'd, I'd even go um you know a little bit further now and say that you know everything is going you know, it's being abstracted more because now you're seeing serverless. Now you don't even need to, you know, it's like, you don't mm -hmm. even need to manage Kubernetes anymore. Go to serverless. Oh, wait a minute. No, serverless is too much. Let's go to fast. You know, so it's like, how much more can you, can you kind of obfuscate before yeah. you get to like, it just AI is doing it all for you. That's it. You don't even have to do anything. Just think about it. AI will create it for you and you're done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it is, it's actually a really, really challenging game to be in at this point in time. It really is. It's like, well, you know, where, where do you actually uh, stake your bet? You know, do, yep. do you want to deploy Kubernetes on premises? And I still see people deploying Kubernetes on premises and it's like, Man, that is a, a a complicated beast. Are you sure that you've got got the right people on staff to actually support that thing? And yes, there are tools out there that help you bootstrap your cluster. They just get you into trouble quicker. You know, eventually something <laughs> will go wrong in the cluster, and if you don't have the mental horsepower to be able to triage that and resolve the problem, you're in big trouble. You really are. So I I, I still don't know why why the vast majority of Kubernetes sites are not just all in on managed Kubernetes and we're just outsourcing that complexity to somebody else. It really, it really does, does shock me. Yeah. I, th I think it's an, it's an interesting space. And I think the, you know, there's a fine balance between, um, you know, having a solution that's maybe a hundred percent upstream and, you know, the vo there's some validity to, to wanting to be vanilla. Right. But then there's also some validity to wanting to just go to something that's managed, right. That's either in a public cloud or, or something like VMware, uh, Tanzu and, and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, definitely. It's a, it's an interesting, an interesting decision point. Yeah, you know, I do want to step on another conversation here. So now, you know, you, you guys started in Docker and Kubernetes. 
it's almost like you know and, and i was i was such a huge docker fan when they came out and i was like oh they got you know they have the lead somebody you know somebody should acquire them they should be they should be the biggest company around now it's kind of like you know with kubernetes you know and very shortly i think it's 1.23 it's docker's not even going to be supported unless docker changes something um so where does docker kind of lie in your opinion now i mean to, they have the creation tools so obviously people will still use them for creation but what's going to happen you know with them in your opinion when when you know it really doesn't matter what you run underneath anymore any any ideas there yeah docker to me is is one area or, or one company who just confuses me because they they had it all and <laughs> didn't, didn't actually capitalize on that now that might be that it's the it's the open source to commercial uh, minefield that that people people have have to walk along um, ourselves included um, or or not, but yeah, I mean obviously moving forward, yeah, Kubernetes is moving away from a Docker shim. Yep. It's still it's still uh, contained a D under the covers, so it's still it's still Docker's work under the covers, still running things. So sure. it's not like it's not like they're they're basically running screaming to something else. Um, but I think from what I can tell from Docker, they are now focused entirely on the developer and therefore the creator. So it's it's someone's laptop that is actually cutting code and they, they want to, to trial something on their laptop. They want to spin up a container on their laptop. They want to spin up a, a very small Kubernetes cluster on their laptop so they can they can attempt to create applications in an environment that would as close as possible replicate what production would be, but self-contained. That seems to be it. But there is a lot of uh, competition in that space. Yeah, uh, I mean, Haskell Vagrant, you know, I mean, Vagrant was the traditional one that developers went to. Obviously, it's not containers uh, yep. in terms of, you know, that space. But yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of competition. And there's also a lot of split in the tools now. And this becomes a problem with Kubernetes. There's so many projects. You go to, uh, you know, uh, cncf and you know you got all these other things there's so much sprawl right now it's like mm -hmm. what do you use um but yeah i mean that going back to the docker stuff they had the world before so i'm uh, i'm really curious to see what happens yeah I, I look at it like the uh you know this is a, an american reference but blockbuster right in that they they had it all they had a bunch of partners that were like hey we're talking about the streaming service we're going to make this you know we're going to we're going to we're going to change the world the way people consume the media and I, I akin that to Kubernetes coming along and then Docker is kind of just like, all right, like go off to the side here. And now you're just like this very niche, this niche use case, which by the way, a bunch of other players have now come into the space. Like mm -hmm. Mike just pointed out. So it, that is an interesting problem. Yeah. And there's actually a lot of, um, there's a lot more to come in the Kubernetes space. I mean, now there's the, you know, virtualized clusters, which, which gets into even more virtualization. Um, so, you know, there's, there's so much going on. There's so much to think about, you know, that's what, and to bring it back to you, it's like, you got to pick your area. You got to pick your area of what you want to do. But the nice part about being where you are is that there's so much to choose from right now. You know, there's, it's, it's a beginning market, even though it's been out for a few years and there's just more and more. So to, to, to kind of, you know, tangent i don't know what the word is there but to <laughs> to be a tangent into this discussion what um what do you have planned for 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 things that you want to do well i think it's actually important to to realize that we are focusing ourselves on being a application deployment tool right so the fact that we support kubernetes and docker and azure aci serverless is semi-irrelevant but also quite important 
we don't we don't actually care about the underlying platform what you want to do as a user is deploy your application so so you you want to deploy your nginx container image you want to expose it you want to scale it and load balance it that's what's important to you what's not important to you is that that it runs on kubernetes or docker or docker swarm or even serverless containers that to you isn't important and so so we we're trying to to help our users take a step back and say well hang on a second here why don't we help you decide where to put this so so you you basically fill in our forms or or, or use our front-end api and leave it up to us to decide where you should deploy that application so we can we can make some suggestions we think we think that this particular environment or this one is better suited or this one's cheaper or this one's faster go here go there so yeah, moving forward we want to try and abstract away even further or, or break break that break the divide that says you know user you just worry about telling us about about your application we'll take care of deploying it for you in the right place for the right cost so, so that, some, that, some lofty kind of uh some lofty goals there and i like it i like it um that's yeah. that's interesting yeah got to got to aim high got to aim high so Absolutely. so you said something interesting there so so application deployment now how far do you get into the devops piece of that like ci cd do you do you talk to like a GitOps, I mean a GitLab or or GitHub, or do you guys do your own CD? Do you split it up? What do you What do you do there? So right now, uh, we it, it's either a interactive deployment, so it's a person click click clicking or pasting in a, a manifest or a compose file and deploying, or also you can link us to Git. So so you can you can actually uh, go new, uh, deploy new application. Give it a Git repo. We will clone that repo and then deploy. Now, right now, that that's a bit a bit uh, half baked because it actually does it once and then never does it again. But moving forward, we actually want to have it so it, it actually synchronizes. So it is monitoring that Git repo, and when it sees a change, it'll it'll go and reclone it and redeploy it. So absolutely, that's that's roadmapped um, for first half of this year is to basically have this integration with with git so we can we can constantly redeploy and maintain an application uh, state based on the state that's in git that makes sense awesome um so i think this is this has been a, a really good conversation i i, I kind of like the ebb and flow of going from this is the industry these are the problems that um that have existed as it you know pertain to really your career journey and then we've obviously talked a lot about portainer so i think to wrap it up and one of the things that i would like to to do on this podcast is really leave the the listeners with like three key messages so um, I, I hate to put you on the spot. We probably should have prepared you a little bit more, but are there, you know, given everything that we've talked about, you know, obviously I, I think one of the key messages is going to be go check out Portainer and see all the exciting things that we're doing with Kubernetes. And I, I think that's great, but um, you know, what are some thoughts that we can leave with our listeners who are maybe looking at containers for the first time um, are one of those, those uh, IT administrators that have been told, Oh, you need to go do Kubernetes tomorrow. Um, what are some things that we can, we can leave with the listeners that, um, that you think are important? I think the number one thing is if you have been told to go and, and do and, and do Kubernetes, uh, my my strong advice would be to to consume it. So go go and get it from someone who knows how to manage it. Um, otherwise, you're in for a world of cost and pain. So go go and get it from a managed provider. Uh, the second one would be determine if you actually want to care about the platform, because if you want to care about the platform, you will, you are going to have to go and hire people who understand Kubernetes and all of its ins and outs. 
if you don't care about the platform, then really Portainer will help you with that journey because you, you just don't need to know nor care about Kubernetes. Is there um, a place that you like to put the direct... Sorry, I'm going to interrupt. Is there somewhere that you like to tell people to go learn about? Um, either Not not just Portainer, obviously, which, which your website would be great for, but just learning about... Um, uh, about Kubernetes and 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 kind of the ecosystem. Do you have a, a place that you like to do your learning at? Uh, I have a, a Docker captain who created a whole bunch of incredibly amazing content um, <laughs> masterclass uh, content, and I okay. I learn from him. Um, I could I could give a shout out if you so desired. Yeah, um, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, that, that it's actually uh, Brett Fisher, and it's his his Docker and Kubernetes masterclass. So okay, you, you can cool. get those on um, uh, Udemy, I think it is. Uh, you can get get them from there; they're amazing. So, Brett, if, Great. if you're listening, <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, you expect a check in the mail soon, right? That's, the, uh, that's the part that uh, we're not going to call out. Um, and so, and sorry, I, I interrupted you. What, what would be your your third key message? I think is where you you were at. <laughs> Uh, the, the third one is is really understand what it is that that you're trying to achieve. Um, you know, it's it's very easy to go and deploy anything against Kubernetes, uh, but if you don't understand what it is you're trying to achieve, what what is the outcome that, you, that you're trying to trying to achieve here? Sometimes it makes sense to have things not in Kubernetes. For example, databases. You you may you may be creating yourself a world of pain trying to get you know, persistence to work and everything else to work around that just to accommodate one or two containers that need persistence and everything else doesn't. Maybe, just maybe, it's smarter to go and use a managed database service, which is which takes care of persistence, and then your your container environment can be 100% stateless. Maybe, just maybe, that, that makes better sense. So I would yeah. always look at your workloads and say, are you, are you creating yourself a lot more complexity just to address the needs of one or two particular pieces of this application? If so, maybe there's a smarter way. That Absolutely. makes way too much sense. That's yeah. it does. Yeah, you had that. You had that positive yeah. feedback loop there. Yeah. You, you know, you, you talked about number one, which was go consume Kubernetes, and then number three is like know what you're trying to do and don't try to force it. You know, I, yeah. I, that's a good message. I think a lot of people um, often forget when they're considering about that that move from VMs into containers that uh, they should consider. Just to add one comment to that, I think a lot of people don't understand their legacy applications. So, you know, it's hard to take a legacy application that you don't understand, you know, what's, you know, working with what, and then port it over to something that's Kubernetes where you really have to understand what you're doing, you know, mm -hmm. so that's that's a big thing. Now, I did want to mention that Portainer.io is um, an open source project. And so anybody can go out there and download this, right? It's, it's just freely consumable. You can download Absolutely. it anytime, try it out. Yep. There is there is an enterprise version. I actually don't know what that adds. Maybe you could just give us, you know, a couple couple big big uh, items that that adds. I obviously support. <laughs> yeah, obviously support. Um, so so with with Portainer, the open source product, uh, it is trying to do a lot of things for a lot of people and a, a lot of different use cases, and enterprises and and actually businesses have very different requirements than a home user and a home labber. And so to try and have all of that capability in one open source product can get quite confusing. So you'll end up overwhelming a, a particular side of, of the fence and say, actually, there's too much detail here, I don't understand it. Or in an enterprise space, they'll say, why, why have you got all this, this, this you know, home user type stuff in this product? So what we wanted to do was actually put a line in the sand and say, for your features specifically 
requested by the CISO, the CTO, the CIO, those are going to sit over here in a specific version called Portainer Business. And those happen to be things like role-based access control. Uh, they, they're things like, like enforcing quotas so that your users in your organization can only consume a certain amount of, of Kubernetes cap capability, not just CPU and RAM, but also storage and load balances because they all cost money. Um, so we, we basically said anything, anything that's in that sort of governance space, governance and, and control space is over here in the commercial version. Everything else is in the open source version. And 90% yeah, of our dev efforts are in the, the open source version. That's awesome. And I think that's great for people that, that, you know, really need this and want to learn it. You know, it gives them a great place to, to do that. And I'm going to leave it for Andrew to kind of uh, close off here. Yeah, no, um, just, you know, I, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this yeah. has been a, a great conversation. Um, you know, this was our, I think we kicked it off by saying this was our first official show as host. So thank you for being our, our, our first guest. Um, you know, we, we really appreciate it. We appreciate you waking up early. Um, you know, Neil is in, in New Zealand, right? Um, which I think, I feel like we missed an opportunity to ask all the things about New Zealand that I didn't learn from Lord of the Rings. So, um, <laughs> You know, maybe maybe we'll have a follow up show in a, in a year or two. We can get to that. Um, just a couple of things. Um, you know, Neil told us before the show that uh, Portainer.io is a great resource, um, both for the open source as well as the the uh, the business version. Um, we'll put some links in the show notes uh, around the the recent addition. I say recent, but you know, the addition of container uh, uh, Kubernetes support as well. Um, and then there is a subreddit for Portainer, which I I. You know, I, I'm uh, I'm on the networking subreddit. I'm on the home lab subreddit. I had no idea that companies were doing subreddits. So that's, I think that's really cool. If if you are a redditor, there is a Portainer subreddit as well. So we'll put is, that. Is that a thing? A redditor? A red, I, well, you know what? I, I might have just literally pegged my age for all the listeners out there. Uh, this is how old I am by saying the word redditor. Um, so, um, yeah. So we'll put those in the show notes. Um, you know, for myself personally, I'm on Twitter, Nubexus13. I think, Mike, you are also on Twitter. I'm um, yep, on Twitter and, and LinkedIn. So and absolutely. Yep, yep, exactly. And Neil, so. I don't know if you have... Uh, I am. I, I, I'm on uh, Neil C underscore cloud uh, or otherwise at uh, Fortana IO. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, we really appreciate it. And we, uh, we hope to chat soon again. Yeah. No, this has been great. We really appreciate it. Thanks, thank guys. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks.